So I've been working on my authorization service and it's totally sweet. It's only taken me six months to build it, just six months. I started implementing some basic RBAC library, but that wasn't enough, obviously. So I designed relationship-based fine-grained authorization for the highest security possible. And then to make it super fast, I used a GPU tower running in my mom's basement, of course, connected via optic cable to bare metal server at my local esports lounge, permissions, restrictions, and admin. Nailed it. Wait, 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 wait. Whatever you did sounds cool, but like there's also another option. Oh, really? Yeah, with permit.io. Permit is the full-stack authorization platform created so you never have to build permissions again. Build and manage permissions for any application with policy as code, APIs, developer-friendly SDKs, and user-facing UIs. Permit is an end-to-end authorization platform built on top of open-source policy engines. It's high-performing, gets decisions in less than 10 milliseconds, and uses a hybrid approach where config is in the cloud, but data and decisions are made locally. Not only is it intuitive, it lets you implement fully functional authorization in five minutes, not six months, and in the code base you prefer. Check out the link in the show notes or go to permit.io to learn more. That's P-E-R-M-I-T dot I-O. Sign up for Permit and stop rebuilding off. So we had this incredible opportunity with a Fang company to deploy the email marketing automation software we had, we had developed at Taplytics on-premise. We had not much of a, a product for email marketing at that time. We were the only software vendor inside of that big company that was connecting multiple of their internal systems together. We had to do a lot of legwork just to get those different parts of the company to talk to each other, to integrate our software with a lot of these very legacy systems. As a business, that really hurt our momentum because we had a ton of our resources focused on getting this fork of our software working I'm Jonathan Norris. I'm the co-founder and CTO at DevCycle. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mark. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really want it. It's not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Jonathan Norris is giving you, the developer, a way to manage features for your CD pipeline one flag at a time. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. 
Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Jonathan Norris lives in Toronto and has a passion for tech that started early in his life. He has participated in the first robotics competition which got him into mechanical engineering, building robots, and leading teams to world championships. He still actively volunteers and mentors people in the program today. But outside of tech, he's a new dad and stays quite busy parenting his kid when he's not riding an e-bike to work. In winter 2014, Jonathan and his founding team did Y Combinator and formed Taplytics. After doing this for nearly 10 years, what his team noticed was the most passionate users were developers using feature flagging over the core offering of the product. So, they decided to spin out a new brand to focus on just that. This is the creation story of DevCycle. DevCycle, the product's about two, two and a half years old at this point. And it's an interesting story because our sort of parent company is called Taplytics. And DevCycle's really our second product. It's the pivot of our company where we're going. And Taplytics, we've been around for about 10 years. We did YC back in winter 2014. We came from the mobile A-B testing and feature flagging space. And really, Taplytics at its core at the start was a first way to do visual, like, no-code A-B testing with native iOS and Android mobile apps. And over the years, we grew that business into a pretty successful, self-sustaining business. We raised some money in about 2017, and we're able to create a pretty healthy business around that product. And that product had gotten really wide. It had gotten to the point where um, it was a really wide marketing automation tool set where you could do everything from those kind of no-code A-B testing on mobile, on web. We had push notifications. We had a full sort of audience system behind it. And we still had a, I don't know, a relatively sort of small-ish team around 50 people. The interesting nugget we found were our most passionate and daily users of the product were actually developers using our platform for feature flag. At its core, it was really more of an A-B testing product for kind of more from marketing and product people. And we saw like this very consistent daily usage from engineering teams who were shipping features for their customers and just using our in-code SDKs for feature flagging for deploying their products. And, And that was really interesting to us. And at the same time, actually, internally, we were trying to move more towards continuous deployment and shipping our own features faster. And so we were actually using our own feature flagging tools to do that. To be honest, there was some like headwinds, especially in the mobile A-B testing and no-code solution, like the transition from Objective-C to Swift and some of the new libraries really limited our ability to do a lot of the no-code stuff we were doing with native iOS and Android apps. We definitely saw some headwinds coming. Okay, we need to fundamentally change this business to, to see growth in it. And so that, that drove us in the direction of, okay, what if we create a really great focused product for developers, for engineers, focus on a great feature flagging experience? That was really what DevCycle has become over, over the last couple of years. Let's dive into what you would consider the MVP of DevCycle, right? So what, what that first version of the product that you, you built or moved to, tell me how long it took you to build, what sort of tools you used to bring it to life, and anything around there. We had a really interesting decision to make because with Taplytics, we had a feature flagging product. 
And we had an infrastructure that we'd built up over 10 years of serving that product. That was a very traditional, large AWS deployment, thousands of cores of CPUs and AWS serving this large sort of centralized API cluster. Do we just reskin the existing product in Taplytics and create a better like UI and experience and maybe a new set of APIs around that existing infrastructure? Or do we go full greenfield and redo everything from the ground up? As you can probably hear, we did the greenfield approach. And the real reason for that was, yes, like it was more technically interesting to do that. Like our engineers are going to have a lot more fun building out a greenfield project than trying to reskin our old product. But the real reason behind it was more architectural, where we had learned over the years that serving tens or hundreds of billions of HTTP requests every month with a large sort of AWS deployment, how costly that is to do, how hard it is to scale that, and especially serving mobile applications with Taplytics. We, we had served some of the largest mobile applications in the world, companies like Grubhub, and we had Tinder as a client in the past and things like that. And we had learned that a ton of that traffic is super spiky. A lot of it comes in from push notifications. So you can imagine a news app, some push notification gets sent to that that app, and their load will increase by a thousand times. You'll literally see like half a million people open the app all within less than a minute, right? (laughs) Managing that type of very spiky load in sort of a traditional large sort of like AWS auto-scale deployment is really hard. So with DevCycle, we're like, okay, how can we flip the architecture of this system? And how we did that is in two ways. The first, investing in edge computing. Instead of sort of us running our own servers, we're using edge computing. And the theory there is that you basically can ship your code to the edge and Cloudflare will run it for you and automatically scale it across their hundreds of data centers all around the world. So for you, there might be a data center in Dallas or somewhere in Texas that's serving your local traffic. And there's a data center here in Toronto that's serving our traffic and serving that worker. And there's not like a centralized system. And the other way we flipped our architecture is trying to move our core logic as close to the end user as possible. So the edge is one part of that, but the other part of that is actually moving a lot of our business logic into the SDKs that our customers are running in their own platform. So all of our server SDKs, all the business logic is now actually not running in our servers. It's running in their servers by the SDKs they're installing. That core architectural change and flip required us to rethink a lot of our products and our decisions. And then on the non sort of like deep technical side of things, we also took a look at the landscape, took a look at how teams were actually using feature flags at scale and and wanted to rethink that a little bit so that we could better model how teams actually develop software engineering teams are generally consisted of a bunch of smaller teams that are working on maybe one or maybe two features at a time. But for most feature flagging platforms, when you go to their kind of dashboard, you just see like a giant list of, in some of these large orgs, like hundreds or thousands of flags. Nobody knows what all those flags mean. And we thought we could remodel how feature flags are organized to better match how teams actually like small teams actually write and develop software. So our top level kind of organization layer is like, what feature are you working on? Are you working on this audit logging feature? Are you working on this like new checkout flow feature? That's the feature that your team is working on. And then under that feature, you might have one flag or you might have a hundred flags associated with that feature. And then within kind of that organization layer, 
you can then go and see in one page how you're targeting users to those feature flags and where that feature flag is enabled across all of your multitude of environments. This kind of key insight for us was like, when you're trying to manage your feature flags at scale, you shouldn't have to like bounce between 10 different tabs to figure out where that flag is enabled on all your different environments. And it should be really clear to the organization as a whole who owns the different flags and which parts of the organization own those different features. And that allows um, a bunch of cool things where like teams now trust their whole engineering and product teams to be in our DevCycle platform, where with a lot of other platforms where they historically have gone, so get really locked down into having one owner of their feature flags who sort of control or like the master controllers who act and it creates a lot of siloing where we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to break out of that a little bit. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place. And if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right. Free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S. You've got that, you know, version of the product. You're ready to move forward. How did you progress it from that point? How have you matured it? And I think to wrap in a box a little bit, Jonathan, what I'm looking for is like, how do you build your roadmap? How do you go about deciding this is the next most important thing to build or to address with DevCycle? It was tough for us. And I think it's tough for everyone to sort that out because we had a host of existing customers that were using our Taplytics products that we wanted to migrate over to DevCycle, right? Like we want to capture that revenue and migrate those customers over from one product to the next, which was really hard. And with DevCycle, we got, I think within about less than six months, we got to a point where 
We built our API, we built our website, we got the full end-to-end flow going, and then we have to make the decision, okay, how do we now get this in the hands of customers? There's a couple like early customers that are like us that were really relying on TypeScript and Node.js and things like that. But obviously with a feature flagging platform, you have the problem of the multitude of SDKs <laughs> where there's a never ending list of SDKs and platforms that you can support with feature flagging. And to, to have a wide product base, you have to do that. You have to have a lot of those SDKs. And the ways you can sort of short circuit that problem, instead of creating what I was describing earlier, like those local bucketing SDKs where everything's being evaluated locally, you can rely on your like your HTTP endpoints to be those SDKs. And we call those our cloud SDKs. And so we created an open API spec that pointed to our edge workers on Cloudflare that could respond in like sub 10 milliseconds to, to requests. And then we, we fired up a bunch of uh, SDK generation tools. <laughs> and as you can imagine, like you give these SDK generation tools an API spec and it'll just go and give you a PHP SDK or a Python SDK or whatever. And so we fired our cannon at generating all these different SDKs. And yeah, and the code that it generates is fine. It's not great. I think for each of those SDKs, we probably had to put in another week or so of like en- engineering work to like, clean them up and document them and, and test them and make sure that they worked fine. And that was like our hack in the first six months to say that we supported Python and Java and Go and all these SDKs, but we knew it was a compromised experience. Parallel to that, we were going down the path of how do we create a cross-platform piece of business logic that we can share across all these different SDKs and and environments? Like, how do we not have to rewrite this couple thousand lines of code in eight different languages to support all the languages we need to support? Like, how do I write this once and run it everywhere? Like, there's a JavaScript runtime for pretty much every language. But you know, for most languages, like V8, like the the engine behind Chrome and and a lot of browsers is is magic and is super fast. Like, that's why Node.js has been great and the web has gotten so fast. But for most of those runtimes that are running your JavaScript code in, like, Java or in Go or some other lower-level language, they're pretty compromised and really not a great solution. And so the next solution, the solution we actually went down was investing in what's called WebAssembly. And WebAssembly is a binary compilation target that you can basically compile your code into WebAssembly that can then be executed on runtimes across the board, across a bunch of different languages. And yes, it's very tied to the web. And so this is how people like Figma or a bunch or one password or like a lot of companies write like C++ or Rust code and can run it in their web browser using WebAssembly. But you can also do it the opposite way where you can take your Rust or we actually ended up using assembly script, which is a subset of TypeScript that could compile to WebAssembly that we could then run in all these SDKs like in Java and Go and Python and all these things. So we didn't have to reinvent the wheel a lot. So yeah, so once we got all those like cloud SDKs packed together in, in a couple of weeks and published and they were good enough to get like beta customers on the product we knew if we wanted to like support real sort of customer paying customers and enterprise customers and things like that we needed a better solution and, and that's where we went down that web assembly um, cross-platform runtime where we could now share code we can have the same piece of code that's running in our edge workers also run in our server sdks so i hear you saying we Uh, How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? The nice thing about being in business 
for about 10 years now is that we've built up um, a stable of just great people over the years and and doing this as a second as a pivot as a second startup within our existing company we didn't have to go and hire a bunch of people we already had people that we knew and we trusted and we believed in that could build this product internally so a lot of it was just like re-energizing those people giving them a new reason to be energized to be invested to really believe in in the future of where we're going with the new product was hugely energizing for the team that was one of the great things about doing a pivot like this was just like seeing a lot of those folks step up again or take more responsibility in this new product than they ever had in the old product. I think one of the things I've learned, especially at the smaller scale where you don't have layers of management to manage and motivate people, you need to find people who are self-motivating. You need to find people who, I like to say, are pushing you along instead of you having to pull them along, right? If you're really having to pull them and get them engaged and get them into what you're building, it's a bit too much of a time suck in the early days. And those people can be really effective and, and productive when you get into the later stages of, of your company and you have layers of management that can manage them. But in the early stage, when things are just chaotic and you need people who are self-motivating, self have a lot of ownership over what's going on, you want those people that are pushing you. You want those people that are like, <laughs> that feel like they're doing more work than you're asking them to do. As I talked about in the early days, the first robotics competition, we've hired a lot of people who are, who are first alumni who, who have that mindset and really know how to get things done, know how to push, know how to how to execute and, and take ownership of things. And I've learned a lot of lessons of hiring external people for startups. And I think it can be really attractive to hire senior people who've been around and have seen a lot of things for a startup. But I've I've only seen a couple senior folks who are really those type of like pushers rather than need to be like pulled along and need to spend a lot of time introing them into your technology and your product and things like that to, to make them productive. I find more sort of intermediate level engineers who are maybe being held back in their existing companies. And if you give them sort of the runway and the opportunity to spread their wings, I found those people to, to be a much better fit in the early days of a startup where you need people taking responsibility and things. You have to also build up like a diverse pool of people. And I think going remote has really helped that. I think half of our teams in Toronto, half of it's fully remote. And that's really opened up our ability to hire more folks and be more selective of who we choose. Having a diverse set of like backgrounds and viewpoints has been really healthy. And I think as Canadian like as a Canadian company, we have a great group of folks who get along and are kind to each other. We have a lot of young engineers who've now been with us for six six years, a bunch. Majority have been here at least three to four years. There are, a lot of them are, are still very young, but they care about each other and they're kind to each other. And that really helps build up a culture of folks who want to work together. One of the things I always tell young engineers, and I think most young engineers don't understand this truly, that how you communicate with somebody, how you work together with somebody is vastly more important than your technical abilities. And I, I don't think young engineers understand that. I think young engineers just think they're just there to write code. And I'm like, no, like I'm hiring you to solve problems with a team. And yes, that like the end result of that is writing code to solve that problem. But the only way you get to a problem together is if you can communicate and collaborate and work together. And so I hire mainly for 
the soft skills and the teamwork abilities of, of engineers and the communication abilities of engineers over the technical ability. All of our hiring mistakes over the years really have come down to people who are great technically but couldn't work together and couldn't collaborate well. And especially now in, in the remote world, your ability to communicate and build relationships with your teammates and work together is 10 times more important because like in the old world where we would all be in an office together if i saw that someone was getting frustrated with the problem or not working well with somebody i could just grab them and go for a walk with them and just talk through the problem right and that's so much harder to intervene in those ways as a manager now in the remote world so you need people who are more emotionally centered and communicate really well and can build sort of trust and relationships with their coworkers. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Hello. Welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. So let's switch to scalability. And this will be interesting. You're, you're building a feature flagging tool for developers and engineers are very picky and very opinionated and they will leave you in a second. So tell me about scalability and how, you know, how you built this. And, you know, given your, your history, I'm sure there's there's lots of, of wisdom put into the platform. But tell me about that. And, and I'm curious if there were any sort of areas you had to fight as you grew. We, we deal with incredibly high like network loads. You can imagine we're serving hundreds of millions of end devices per month. We're one of the few products where you really do reach kind of those internet scale type of services that only the big billion dollar corporations really do. A-B testing, feature flagging, analytics are some of those spaces that really do get to scale. 
I have stories I could tell of product managers at like Google from like Google's BigQuery team being like calling me over Christmas being like, your systems are like breaking BigQuery for all of our customers across Google. Can we get on the phone now and fix it? <laughs> Tinder joined the platform around this time, I like early December one year and just like crush our databases. And I spent all Christmas with a bunch of members of our team trying to learn how to scale up our databases and in our systems to handle their load. A lot of those learnings over the years led to that architecture switch for DevCycle where we're trying to move that core decisioning logic and core performance sensitive logic as close to the end device as possible. So whether that's using edge computing, as I talked about with Cloudflare workers, which we should be the fastest API response on your website or your mobile app, like we should see sub 50 millisecond, like a lot of cases it's sub 20 millisecond response times, which is really great. And then even further, trying to get the actual business logic of our software into the open source SDKs that our customers are running in their servers or in their products. There's no easier way to get low latency than to get rid of the network call. With DevCycle, we're really focused on getting that decisioning logic as close to the end device as possible. And that even means like with some of our SDKs, like one of our customers is a very large internet scale networking company and our SDKs are running in their CDN servers at the edge around the world. And so like they're measuring things at like the nanosecond scale performance. And so when they onboarded, we went through a really fascinating uh, performance optimization problem with our Go SDK to optimize every Go routine, basically every inch of code to make it as performance as possible for them because they're running data centers of servers around the world. They're doing hundreds of billions of flag evaluations per day in those data centers. And those flag evaluations really cost them money if they're not performant. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The people that I've gotten to work with over the years. I think we've created a, a just a great culture of really energetic people who, who care about the problem, who care about each other, and generally just enjoy working together with each other. And I think when I think about my day-to-day, it's like, what excites me the most? Yes, the technology and the interesting problems we get to solve. But the thing that excites me and motivates me most every day is just like the great sort of group of people and, and that we we get to work with every day. And so I think that's the thing I'm most proud of and how we've been able to nurture and develop a lot of those folks over the years into great engineers, just great people in general. Obviously, I'm proud of the crazy scale problems we've solved. Like for Taplytics, we actually, we spent about two or three years deploying our software on premises for a fang company and that whole storyline, which is just like a whole different wild hour podcast we could do. We're builders here, and and maybe to a fault, we're builders where I think one of the lessons we've learned is that we've maybe built too many things in too many disconnected systems over the years, and and we're trying to correct that with a more focused product with DevCycle. I know we can build things, but I think the thing I'm most proud of is the people that we've built and we've developed over the years, day to day. That's the thing that gets me most excited to, to, to come to work every day. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So we had this incredible opportunity 
with a Fang company to deploy the email marketing automation software we had, we had developed at Tapletics on-premise. We had not much of a, a product for email marketing at that time. We were the only software vendor inside of that big company that was connecting multiple of their internal systems together. We had to do a lot of legwork just to get those different parts of the company to talk to each other, to integrate our software with a lot of these very legacy systems. And as a business, that really hurt our momentum because we had a ton of our resources focused on basically getting this fork of our software working on-premise for this very large customer with a very large contract. And most, like, a bunch of our team was flying from, like, Toronto to California (laughs) every week for a year and a half to, to get this to work. But it really distracted from our core business. The rest of our business was in stasis for that period of time, and we weren't really able to, like, do both develop the existing sort of cloud product and this on-premise product at the same time just due to the complexities that that came with deploying it. That was a big challenge for us. And I think after that whole situation wrapped up, that's where we took a hard look at our business of what we had left, what we wanted to spend like the next five years of our time on and came to the the decision to build build DevCycle and start fresh with that. So I think... I think it ended up in a really healthy place, but we probably would have made a different business decision there. That definitely set us back and changed us in a lot of ways. Like we had to get a lot slower. We had to go from like continuous deployment to releasing every two months, right? And like things like that had such an effect on our engineering culture and our pace of delivery and our just ability to get things done and and really keep engineers happy and motivated. We didn't realize what we were getting into with those effects when we signed that deal. So this will be fun to ask. What does the future look like for DevCycle, the product, and for your team? Yeah, we're still in that like early growth stage, trying to figure out all the the product market fit things, trying to, to really hone in on our messaging and where the product's going. I think we have a pretty clear direction now. I think we've tried a lot of experiments over the last year. One big part of that is actually supporting the open source community. I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a new open source standard that we're involved in called Open Feature, which is an open standardized protocol for interfacing with feature flags, a platform agnostic protocol that you can plug in different vendors into. And we're supporting that pretty directly and look to continue to try to help that community grow. If you've heard of Open Telemetry or OTEL, it's basically the same style of project, but for feature flagging. You're potentially instrumenting like hundreds of different places in your code with feature flags that are difficult to change providers and vendors because there's a lot of lock-in effects with feature flags that makes it difficult to transition between providers. And the idea behind Open Feature is that you can use that interface once and then change providers later. We actually see most customers coming to us actually come from internal tools. So we definitely recommend if you have an internal feature flagging tool, look at adopting the open feature standards and SDKs around that internal tool. And that'll make that migration process to a platform like DevCycle a lot easier in the future. And also just provide you with a higher quality SDK and interface for your developers to use than most teams have the ability to build themselves. We also see a lot of success with engineering teams that are adopting, that are moving fast and adopting like continuous deployment and things like that. Like the Next.js community, we're working on 
yeah, a big sort of Next.js SDK that combines client-side rendering with server-side rendering and all the complexities of how feature flags work across client-side and server-side renderings. That's going to be a big push for us. But yeah, those are the two pillars of where we're going as a product. Open feature and the Next.js ecosystem are the two, two main pillars for DevCycle looking forward. Jonathan, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and they can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Showing your product to your customers earlier than you're comfortable with, I think is great. I think getting early feedback, getting in the hands of customers as early as possible is such a core thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with with perfecting their products and polishing them to a point and then not having enough time to iterate on on the product. I think one of the things that feature flagging, continuous deployment, all these things help you with is get to a culture of iteration, right? And being comfortable with changing your product and iterating on your product at, at a rapid pace. And I think for early stage companies, those iteration cycles are incredibly key. And so get to a place where you can iterate and, and test and move really quickly with your product. And then find employees and advisors and people like that that you can trust and believe in the mission, right? Creating that support system around you. I, th I think most people don't know this, but most startups don't fail because they don't find product market fit or they don't get enough revenue or whatever. Most of it fails because of interpersonal issues, mainly between the co-founders, but a lot of the times between the founders and the early employees. So working with people that you can trust and build a deep relationship with and have a key core connection with is very important, is more important than anything else. People that you can trust and communicate well with and create a deep connection with is more important than anything else. That's fantastic advice. Well, Jonathan, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of DevCycle. Yeah, thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.